Welcome to the Working Mama podcast, a show that provides real-world tips, tricks, and advice to all working mamas on how they can have a career, family, and hopefully one day break the glass ceiling. Welcome, mamas. Welcome back to another episode of the Working Mama podcast. When we have children and that we really forget sometimes about our relationship and really a relationship came first uh, when we think about, you know, when it comes to children. As a friend of mine told me when I was actually having my son, she said, Karina, never forget your relationship and the importance of actually spending time on this. Um, and there's certainly a lot that can change when you have kids. Uh, and certainly that's what we're going to be talking about today on the podcast. So I have with me Sheena, who is a mum to a toddler and two dogs. Oh, I love fur babies, living in North Brisbane. She loves a good true crime, good red wine. Wow, we could talk all day about red wine then. And sweet potato fries and, of course, beach days being in Brisbane. So welcome, Sheena. How's your day going? Yeah, pretty good. How about you? Very well, thanks. So, Sheena, how would you best describe yourself? Oh, that's, and you know, that's such an interesting question, but because um, you can just take so many tangents, right? But I guess the, just the basic is um, for, you know, relevant to this podcast. Um, so yeah, like you mentioned in my bio, I'm a working mum. I, I balance employment. So I work, I do work for other people, I have my own business. And, you know, I guess I just like being connected to my son. I've got my husband. So my husband's a fly in, fly out worker. So that's like another interesting aspect of my life (laughs) um and yeah like you mentioned like I love beach days and all of those sorts of things and yeah I guess I'm just a person like I'm a pretty open book like I'm pretty you know that's that's just me (laughs) fantastic and what's been your career pathway to get you where you are now yeah, it's been a bit of an interesting journey. I, um, you know, I was looking, I was thinking about this question actually, because it's, uh, you know, you don't often always reflect on what takes you to your career path. But um, so I'm a holistic social worker. I'm a registered social worker. So I graduated with my Bachelor of Psychology back in 2010. You know, just sort of worked in a psych office for a year after that. I went to do my master's of counselling and then after I got my master's of counselling, I moved to regional Queensland. So when I was there, I was working, I was counselling kids and families in the child protection system, which is uh, not an easy gig, pretty tough gig, but it taught me so much about, you know, working within my values And I guess it taught me a lot about sort of functional versus dysfunctional families, you know, relationships, parenting, all of that sort of stuff. Um, And it really put a passion in me for that area. Um, So, yeah, so then I went on to do my master's of social work. So, yeah, so now my career path, I currently work for a government agency and at a university up here. And as you mentioned, you know, I um, I have my own business as well. So that's kind of my career path. Very good. Very good. Well, it certainly sounds like you've got a wide range of experiences, um, not only personally with having a fly in fly out husband, but also the, I guess the insights into life and the different uh, walks of life that people have got in social work, which I know, unfortunately, not all of us are lucky enough to have four walls constantly around us. uh, And certainly social work gives that insight into that part of 
unfortunately society so hats off to you and all the work that you're doing um to support <laughs> those that are less fortunate oh thank you for that you know and and just like a caveat to that as well you know sometimes um I just, I feel like I just want to quickly explain as well, you know, sometimes it can be confusing, like what's the difference between a psychologist or a counsellor or a social worker? So just for people who are sort of still getting their heads around what a social worker is, you know, because I've studied all three, what I try to say is like psychology is really sort of understanding like that individual pathology of a person. So it's really like who you are and your life experience is very sort of focused on the individual. And then social work sort of adds a level where we go on a societal level and a, a meta level as well, like, you know, in the larger world, why is it that some groups of people have these issues and some groups of people have these issues and what are the systemic problems that we're having that are causing mental health or causing drug and alcohol issues or causing, you know, child protection issues like why is that so it's really I'm really blessed that I've had that experience of understanding individual things that happen to us that sort of affect how we are in the world but also you know remembering that there's social things that are outside of our control sometimes that affect how much privilege we have or you know our life circumstances or how good of a hand we're dealt and how not good of a hand we're dealt. So I think sometimes remembering that those two aspects is really important that it's not just one or the other. That's a really good overview uh, and insight as well. Yeah, there's a lot of terms that are branded around these days, so it's always good to have that clear understanding. So what we were going to talk about today, uh, as I said in the intro, was about the impact of relationships, you know, after kids because it's something that we don't always consider because well when we're thinking we fall pregnant we see those two lines we're all like woohoo I'm pregnant <laughs> and then uh, and then there's a journey uh, and so those that are listeners there's definitely a, know my journey uh, that have been in the last couple of months so it's definitely a journey going through parenting uh, and certainly as well then you're focused on what the baby's room is going to be like what your birth plan is and then the person that helped you get pregnant you often may forget about or (laughs) they go down the list and I know in my family it was probably at times baby dog and then maybe my my husband may come in number three so it's the real the season of parenting lasts a long time so what can we do for relationships to make sure that we prepare our relationship for Uh, this new season of parenting yeah yeah so there's there's so many aspects to it because I guess we're looking at the long game too like how can we prepare our relationship for a longer time and so um, you know the ideal situation would be if any of your listeners are pregnant that would be the time to start talking about things or even before like ideal situation would be before you even have a child it's talking about you know expectations around children and life and and what their life's going to look like um so some of the things i'm going to suggest now time wise the perfect time would have been to do it before you got pregnant or during pregnancy However, for most of us, that's too late. We've already had the kid (laughs) and and we're already sort of starting to see, you know, just little cracks and little bits and pieces or just 
feeling that disconnect in our relationships and that's when we wait. You know, unfortunately for a lot of us, it's like we wait till the problem exists before we act upon it. Um, so that means that a lot of us are sort of in the midst of parenthood when we're like, oh, my gosh, what happened to our relationship? We need to focus on this. So I guess there's a, sorry, like I mentioned, there's a couple of aspects to this. So preparing for the transition of your relationship from a couple to family and parenting. Um, so what's important to talk about as a couple, like what are your individual goals and then your couple goals for the next three, five, ten years? And how can we support each other with those goals while still balancing parenthood? Um, and when I say have this conversation about what are our goals, both individual and together, this isn't just a casual conversation. You know, it's really getting together with a pen and paper or even like a laptop or something like that and really listing it out, like have a visual. And of course, goals and plans change. That's totally fine. But I think it's it's just something to refer back to every once in a while, just remembering, you know, you, it's so easy to lose yourself in parenting, both losing yourself and losing the relationship in the whole chaos that is parenting. Yes. And so I think having a visual like that is just key because it sort of brings you back to, oh, that's right. Like I still have part of me that I have goals around. And as a couple, you know, my husband's working towards this goal. And so how can I support him with that? Or if there's goals that you have around, you know, for example, getting back to work, you're like, you know, I still want to get back to work. How can he support me with that? And that might be that he takes a day off so that you can go to work or, you know, just like how can we support each other with each other's goals? You know, does that kind of make sense? Oh, it's it certainly does. And I know that like from a personal experience, when I was pregnant with our son, I said to my husband, I said, I'm not going to just be at home and my husband said yeah look I I know we want to share the load together uh and I says like you know even before we had kids um I said I still want a career but the career to me is still something that is important to me uh and I know that it's might sound weird but it's also a bit of my self-care of that mental stimulation Mm. but it was also we actually discussed we said we're going to take parenting as a team approach and that was something that for us and we still hold true to that value that it's not one or the other and we say you're the traditional male role or traditional female role definitely of that mental load and also our career ambitions as well uh, mm. I think is really important because I travel more with my job than what my husband does because um, he's based in Melbourne and only will work in Melbourne and yeah I was like because people are saying well what happens if you need to travel and I was like well no he's more than willing to do that and carry that which those kind of conversations we had before our son was born and it's so important that communication and making sure you're on the same page huge huge and again just to take it a step further you know when we talk about goal setting there's there's setting a goal of like I want to go back to work then there's setting a goal of you know like those smart goals like I want to go back to work in a year, two days a week, you know, and it's the same with your relationships. Like it's one thing to say, oh, yeah, we're going to be supportive of each other or we're going to be a team. Like you really got to break it down and go, okay, what does that look like, you know, and that's, you know, and I'll talk about this a little bit later, but it's that united parenting, which you've just hit the nail on the head. 
But I want to just mention the second aspect about really transitioning your relationship from couple to family and, and parenting and, and keeping connected. So you've got to ask yourself, okay, how are we going to keep our relationship strong? Because really sometimes that relationship is the foundation of the family unit. Um, so, you know, it's that saying of it's the little things that add up over time. So just as a really kind of clear example of this, if you did just five sit-ups every day, something really small, that's 1,825 sit-ups a year. And over 10 years, that's almost 18,500 sit-ups, right? So if anybody says that the little things don't count, they definitely do. And that's such a big example of that. So when we talk about little things in relationships, it's you know, making sure we greet each other when the other one comes home, like, you know, like actually getting up off the couch and giving each other a kiss or acknowledging that you exist. You know, there's a lot of families where there's so much going on. And so someone walks into their house and it's like, no one even notices because it's like, oh, hey, I'm going to go do this. You know, like it's okay. I love you. It's so good to see you. Or, oh my gosh, I'm so glad you're here. It's been a big day. I love you, blah, blah, blah. But at least acknowledging that person, you know, and it's the same with like leaving in the morning, you know, making sure those, those leaving moments and those greeting moments, like it's those little things that really do count. You know, it's sending a text out of the blue every now and again, just to say, I love you, or I'm thinking of you. It's really those little moments that are done like a regular date night as well. You know, if that's not possible, get a coffee together. Or if date night's not possible, do date breakfast, you know, like, but doing something that's just for you as a couple, undistracted, done on a regular basis is, is huge. It's just so powerful. That's really great advice. And, and I love the, the idea of relationships being the foundation of a family unit. But I guess that's so true because if you didn't have that strong base, you wouldn't have most likely had a child in the first place. Yeah. And look, just a caveat to that as well. There are going to be listeners here who um, maybe they're co-parenting or maybe they're step-parenting. Like, I, I just want to be clear about if anybody's like, well, I'm a single parent or I'm a co-parent. You definitely, it's about, when I say parenting and relationships too as well, it's just making sure like the parenting, the, the, the adults are the foundation. But put it that way, the adults are the foundation to the parenting that occurs. And so if those adults are in a great relationship, of course, that's going to be good. But if those adults are co-parenting, if they can have a cordial relationship that's consistent, even that's going to be really good. So just wanted to put that out there for anyone who might be in a different situation as well. No, that's really important. And not everything goes well, uh, you know, at the start of a, of a child. It's, it is stressful for both parents. There's lack of sleep. And also I know that, you know, your first child particularly, like I've got all these things, I don't know what I'm doing. And you may sometimes take that anger out or frustration out on your loved one and they may actually bear the brunt of it because sadly that's what we do sometimes is we'll get frustrated at those around us. So what can we do in particularly those new phases of parenting to make sure that we're not just 
really giving it to the other half with our frustrations and, and managing that part of relationship because that may then be the, the start of sadly a downward spiral. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And so there's a couple of things to this. Like one is around preparing for exactly those moments you mentioned, like you're tired, you're fatigued, like the baby's not sleeping, you, you know, especially the first time around. You, there's just, I just remember when I was the first time around, I just didn't trust my gut. Um, so my son was in the NICU after he was born and I think when that when something like that happens or something unexpected or maybe you didn't have the birth that you wanted it's like that intuition and the gut that you usually trust you're not trusting it and so I remember coming home and googling like what does this mean or what do I do this or like do I sleep train do I not sleep train blah 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 and it's like you're sleep deprived and yeah. so it, it was just it was just chaos and so even with myself, I have to admit, you know, there were, you don't know what you don't know. And so yeah. as a first time parent, you know, I, it was exactly that. I was planning for the birth, planning for this. And, and, you know, I'd worked with parenting before. So I was a little bit blase, like, oh yeah, I've got this, you know, I know like emotional regulation, blah, blah, blah. And then I'm like, hold on a minute. I'm having a newborn. Like, I'm not having a kid who I can work with like I've worked with in the past. I'm having a newborn. And, yeah, it was huge shock. So I think being being clear about, okay, what do we do in those moments, you know, before? So if it's your first pregnancy, but even if it's your second pregnancy, who can we turn to when we just need a break? Like who do we actually trust that we can go to when we just need a break? Is there somewhere where we can go and sleep? <laughs> And I know that sounds crazy, but again, I don't know if you had this experience, but when the newborn's in the house, it's just a different environment. And because you're in the same household as your children, you're kind of hypervigilant. You can't shut it down. So even if someone's like, go have a nap in the spare room, you can't because no. you just it's just not going to work. And so one of the things I say to any of my close friends who are pregnant or having a child is like, if you ever just need to come over and you say to me, Sheena, I don't want to talk. I don't want to do anything. I just want to eat or sleep or whatever. I'm happy for that. You know, I think you need somewhere where you can go. If you want to go have a chat with a friend, great. If it's just to talk about something other than newborn life, you know, it's planning ahead for those moments. And so as a couple, it's sort of remembering as a couple, who can you turn to? As a couple, who do you feel comfortable asking for help? You know, because it's it's one thing if you say, I'm comfortable asking my mum to come over, but your partner might be like, I love your mum, but I cannot stand her for more than an hour. Yeah. So, you know, like it, it's just having those honest conversations, right? Because you'll have different expectations. And so, again, it's sort of planning ahead for those things. But I guess some of, some of the other big issues that come up, not so much in the newborn phase, sometimes in the newborn phase, but in that, I guess that first year and as you start to talk about, okay, what are the things that can impact a relationship, I guess, when we have children? And it's, it's things like 
sometimes it can be things like religious things like are we going to baptize this child or not you know if we want them to go to a good school we might need them baptized like so many long-term things that you've got to think about so early on and it's also things like you know around schooling you know if one partner's gone to private schools and another's gone to public you might have different ideas about what schooling looks like and all of those things. And I, I know it sounds crazy to talk about it so early, but it's like you've got to give yourself time that if you do have different perspectives, how are you going to come to a compromise? Um, because sometimes, again, the little things are actually big things. You know, something like baptism might be super important to someone and the other partner's like completely on a different page about it. But it's given an assumption, you know, one partner might go, you were baptised, I was baptised, like our families were, I just assumed that we would vote, you know, our child would be. And the other partner's thinking, no, you know, we never go to church, we never do any of that stuff. Why on earth would you think that? So I think it's just having those conversations about lots of, lots of different things, you know, lots of different avenues. And again, one of the ways to get clear about that like an actionable way and I talk about this in my parent course as well is just around think about how they would like their kids to be parented and one of the great ways to do this is reflecting on reflect on your own childhood and all of us have good aspects about our childhood and not so good aspects right like as as we get older we we can see our parents for what they are <laughs> and we can go I love the way my parents did this for us, but I didn't like the way that they did this for us. And so it's sort of reflecting on each of your own childhood and going, okay, what are the aspects we want to bring in? And what are the aspects that we really want to make sure they don't have to experience like we did? Does that kind of make sense? Yeah, no, 100%. It's um, like, from a per- like to give an example of that from a personal experience, um, my family loves snow skiing and so it's something that I really want my children to to be able to do um luckily my husband also snow skis so it made a bit that conversation quite easy but family holidays different activities uh and doing things together as a family definitely a, a strong values that I know my husband and I bring into our relationship and that we want to instill uh in our children but it's yeah it can be tricky uh, if you're coming from very different experiences, cultural backgrounds, and even the way that you were raised, there's a lot of these things that come into parenting that you may not have had in a relationship beforehand, but when you're starting to parent and looking at the future of your family, it, you can have very different outlooks. Oh, 100%, 100%, exactly what you're saying, yeah. So, And that's why having the conversations prior or having plans is just, is so important, so important, you know? And so what can you do that, um, so those those people, those mamas that are, that are going to be listening, that already <laughs> got kids, but haven't yet had those conversations, but there may be some issues in the relationship at the moment. What are some of those cracks that may start to appear and, and how can they start looking at, making sure that from that little skerrick of dust, it doesn't become a a really big issue. There are cracks and issues that appear in so many relationships. And so what what we talk about in both relationships and parenting is this concept of rupture and repair. 
um, and some of you might have heard of this before, but in every relationships we have, we're going to have moments of rupture. You know, small, it can be a small rupture or a large rupture, but regardless, we all have moments of ruptures throughout the relationship. It could be a disagreement or a fight um, or just a, a disappointment. And it's really important that we try and repair this rupture as soon as you can, like the sooner the better because you don't want it to build up, right? So I know it's not easy, but it's having the hard conversation, you know, um, and yeah, I'm not, I don't want to be, I don't want to say that it's easy to have those hard conversations, you know, but it's being open and leaning in. So sometimes if the rupture's big, the repair's also going to be big as well. So just as another analogy to sort of break this down a bit too, if your car gets a flat tire, there's a chance that you can repair that on your own um, with sort of minimal help. Like that's kind of not so big of a thing. But if you crash into something with your car, you'll need, you'll probably need the help of a mechanic to fix it. Like you might need some tweaking and the car might run a little differently after that. You might need to be more gentle with it. So it's exactly the same for relationships. You know, you've got to match the repair to the level of the rupture, but just don't pretend it's not happening. I think that's the thing. It's like sometimes when we're caught up in parenthood, we're so focused on the children that we miss the bids for connection. And sometimes, sometimes when we're tired and fatigued, our bid for connection can be those little, how do I say it? Like those little passive aggressive kind of things. And it's not intentional, but it's just like, I'm here, like acknowledge me. So sometimes if we're not getting positive reactions, we try to get a negative reaction because any reaction from our partner acknowledges the fact that we're connected. Does, does that make sense to you? Yeah, yeah. It's like I, it's like a little kid when they may be throwing a tantrum. Sometimes they're not throwing a tantrum because they need to. They're just like, give me attention, I'm here. Yeah, exactly. So um, another way that we talk about that is, you know, a lot of a lot of our, our parents would have called it attention-seeking behaviour, but they've reframed that term now as attachment-seeking behaviour. And exactly that, you know, when we're tired, we regress. We turn into our childhood selves. Like we're not mature adults sometimes when we're emotional. So, yeah, so I think there's that. I think the other thing around when you start to see cracks and issues appear is, um, and you know, anyone who follows me or knows my courses, you'll hear me talk about this a lot, but the love languages are just such a useful tool and a framework to use. So, you know, it's doing a gesture in your partner's love language can be so helpful for the repair. Um, so for, you know, for example, if your partner's love language, their primary love language is gift giving, some people like won't offer the bid for connection until they feel loved. And so if they feel love through gifts, you might have to do that step of getting the gift so that you can have the conversation, you know, like it's that sort of method. And the, and the other thing I have to say is a good apology. Don't apologise with like, I'm sorry you felt that way. I just like, oh, it just drives me crazy when people say, you know, it's like acknowledge your part of it first because you have to remember when you approach someone and they're sort of annoyed um, or things have just, there's been tension, 
are you going to get a better response by saying that they're in the wrong or acknowledging, you know, your part of it? Like you, um, in, you know, because a lot of the times in relationships, we both have a part in an argument. And so by apologising, you're not dismissing if they've done something wrong, that, you know, that's okay, but it's acknowledging your part of what you've done or your part of what you've said or your part in it, you know? So um, I think that's a really huge part of making sure the cracks don't get bigger is having good apologies and learning. And that's a good skill to teach your kids too, you know? Yeah, certainly important. And sometimes how do we start those hard conversations? Because that is what you were saying. It's important to have those conversations and they are hard. But how is it just that you've got to kind of just suck it up for yourself? It's something that you've done and you can control that situation of saying, look, can we sit down and chat about this? Is it something as simple as that or gift giving as what you've just said? It's a practice. That's the thing. It's like, Anyone who knows Brené Brown or any of her work or, you know, if anybody hears these words about vulnerability and courage, you know, that what we talk about in, in our field is, is just, just being authentic. You know, it's, it's, making, it's meeting someone where they're at and, and acknowledging things like letting the mask down and having the hard conversation, you know, so... It's just not ignoring if there's tension. Like if you're feeling tension, acknowledge it. And but don't acknowledge it when the when your partner's in the middle of bathing the kids. Like that is terrible timing. You know, pick and choose your time. So maybe just say, um, you know, try to make time with your partner. Say, oh hey, when the kids are in bed, um, can you want do you want to just have a cup of tea with me in the kitchen? Because there's a couple of things I just really want to talk to you about. Or if you're if you're in the rupture where they're just not talking to you, it's like, hey, I, you know, coming and being like, look, like, can we just please talk about this? I really want to talk about it. And that's not easy, but it's just acknowledging like things like that. Or, or sometimes as well, what happens in relationships is we let things go until they're bad. So sometimes we have this gut intuition, again, listening to your gut and your intuition around I just noticed that things aren't as good as they could have been or, you know, I've been feeling tension between us lately or I've noticed we're just not as intimate as usual. And and those aren't big, you know, you're not having a massive blow up with each other. You're just noticing these little bits and pieces that are off and just go with that. Don't Don't wait until you haven't had sex for a year, you know. <laughs> like if you've noticed like, oh, that's, that's not like us, you know, that's not us. Or, or even if you're saying to yourself, I wish things could be better in, in this area, have that conversation. You know, I know that it can be scary, but it's going to your partner and saying, hey, like I've noticed that we haven't been as intimate with each other as usual. Like can you, do you know, like have you noticed that? What are your thoughts around that? Or I've just noticed like, from my perspective, I just feel like you've been a bit more distant lately. Is something going on? Like, don't wait till your partners, you know, you haven't spoken to each other for six months or something, you know, like it's, it's getting things early. And I think one of the things with authenticity and vulnerability and having these authentic hard conversations 
is it gives an indicator of how healthy the relationship is too. So if if you're scared to go to your partner and say, I've noticed the intimacy's not as great, then, you, then that's another red flag for you. You've got to go, why am I scared to have just an honest conversation with my life partner about this? So I think using, listen to your gut, listen to your intuition, and it's a practice. Like you're not going to be perfect at it the first time, you know, you're not going to word it perfectly the first time and those sorts of things. But just really try to notice like what's your partner's response when you're honest? If they're they're shutting down, again, that's like a red flag of like, okay, I'm trying to have the conversation. Why are you blocking me? Does that make sense? <laughs> no, no kind it of does. There, it but. does. I think, as you were saying, it's it's about being authentic. And I guess you never know that you, if by just saying it, I think women typically will address something and talk about it before typically a male would. Uh, but if you're thinking it, they may well be thinking that as well, but they just being sometimes blokes they may not talk about their feelings um, but they'll certainly be thinking it in their own way and I think that it's a way of also helping that relationship so as you say it's not the the screaming match that may be at the end of the the spectrum but also addressing those little niggling things uh, along the way it's you know particularly with say kids it might also be down to sharing of say the emotional labor and the mental load of oh I wish they did more x or I wish they helped out here because as women we will typically take on more you know it, it just naturally comes uh oh look with breastfeeding you've got a lot more to do with the kid and I know certainly my own personal experience my husband was like well what can I do like you do everything to help oh. our son but then in in response he was like okay I'll do more of the cooking and the washing so now I actually don't even think about washing clothes because he just does it all and it was yeah. something that we've had a conversation about but he also took the lead on so it didn't turn into because he was getting frustrated with me that I wouldn't do the washing in that way, yeah. like in a scheduled way. Um, and so he just took it on. But certainly knowing those little things, particularly I think around domestic duties, can also cause a lot of issues within a couple. And I, and you hear it a lot of, I wish husband did X. And mm. But sometimes guys don't get it until it's really smack bang in front of them. Would you agree? Oh, yeah. And, and I'm the same as well. There's things that my husband will be like, how could you not see this? And I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> That's not an issue for me. And so, again, it's sort of like the strategies to sort of even out that mental load or just, you know, to make sure it doesn't impact your relationship. Exactly. Your, your example is just perfect. So I'm so proud of you that you've done that in your home. But yeah, like make sure that there are some areas of your life where one partner's in charge and the other, and you know, you're both in charge of like one aspect. So you're sharing the load. And if where you can outsource, so think about like all the things you've got to do. So, you know, and it's just sharing it in a way that seems natural. So if one person has to get up earlier in the mornings, right, than the other one, it might be, okay, can you be in charge of the morning meals and I'll do the evening meals. So then that way, not all the meals are on one partner. It could sort of breaking it up or, you know, again, one partner might say, you know what, I actually am, 
pretty good with the cooking and I don't mind it. So exactly your your example I was thinking of is like one person does the meals and the other one's like, okay, I'll take care of the laundry then if you're going to do all the meals. And play to your strengths. You know, like everyone has chores that you either like or you dislike and just be honest about it. Like sort of go, okay, I don't mind doing the stacking and unstacking the dishwasher and doing the kitchen, but I cannot stand doing the floors. And the other partner might be like, okay, well, I don't mind doing the laundry. It's not a big deal for me, but I also hate doing the floors. And so you've already figured something out there. You go, okay, I'll do the kitchen, you do the um, the laundry, and maybe we can get a cleaner once a fortnight to do the floors because we both hate that job. Or the mowing, like get a teenage kid in the area or, um, yep. you know, like someone someone in your, in your community Facebook group to be like, hey, who wants to do our lawn? Because, you know, you, you recognise... There's, there's always jobs that you just both hate doing. <laughs> so, so try and outsource those when you can. And if you can't, share the load as much as you can. Yeah. Um, I, I've heard of different stories from people that um, their partner may say, no, you're, you're the woman or you're only working part-time. You should take more on. And then I know that actually then does cause some tension in relationship. How can we overcome this? That's really good and it's it's setting those expectations. I, I really struggle, to be honest, if I'm uh, with the, the partners who do have the traditional view of women do the domestic and then, you know, men work, those sorts of things, and that's fine. It's, I guess that's the thing too... I, I just want to be honest here. It's about knowing your partner. Sometimes you need to know your partner sometimes before you have children. And the reality is that sometimes parenting shows you the aspects of your relationship that you didn't want to see before. So I guess one of the things I'm always honest about is when you start doing work on your relationship, it either makes you so much stronger which most of the time it does, but there are some couples where by doing the work, you actually recognise that, hey, maybe this person isn't the one for me or maybe this person, maybe we were aligned 10 years ago, but we're not aligned now. And that's totally okay, you know. So I guess that's the thing. It's like if you married someone who has a very sort of view of women doing certain jobs and men doing certain jobs, then you have a kid and they still have that view. They haven't grown or changed, but you might have. And so it's sort of asking, are they willing to compromise? And if they're not, am I willing to be okay with this? And again, that's not an easy conversation to have. And so, you know, we hope that our partners grow with us sometimes, but just remember that it's okay when you do this work to recognise that maybe they aren't growing with me. So I know that that's not like the, the romantic answer we want to have, but yeah, for, for the couples where you can do something practical to compromise, it's it's being articulate with your needs and, and saying to, you know, I think sometimes what can happen that I've heard with couples that I've spoken to is um, let's say the man has a sister 
Now, his sister is a stay-at-home wife who, or stay-at-home mum who has, you know, three kids and she seems, she from the outside, she seems to balance all the hats. Then he has a child with you and you're struggling with one child and it's really hard for you. You have to have that conversation about, I know that your sister is able to do this, but that's not me, okay? And I need to express to you, like, I'm really struggling and what I think what would really help me is, yeah, going back to work two days a week or having a day when they're in daycare or having, so I can just be by myself. Don't be scared to say what your wants and needs are, regardless of what everyone else is doing and anybody else's expectations. Like only you know your wants and needs and you can't expect anybody else to guess it. So you have to articulate that. Um, and especially if you're if you're one of these mums who's always been a strong person up until having children, like, oh, I don't ask anyone for help. It's such a big hurdle to get over. Actually, I need help. That's like huge as a parent because then there's this connotation like I I'm not handling it, I'm not good enough, etc. But it's like that is such a strength to say, hey, like I I need you and I want to connect with you. Can you please help me? I think I think asking for help is such a strength. So, oh, I agree. I agree. It's I was probably one of those ones pre kids that didn't accept much help, but it's been the biggest thing that I've actually learnt um, in actually having kids is about asking for help and accepting help. And now I'm like, yeah, bring it on. Um, <laughs> and it's, it's, I don't see it as a weakness. I actually say now asking for help is a strength. And back to your earlier response around this wasn't, uh, you know, it's all not all roses and things like that. Um, if you're not on the same page, I think it's actually good to hear from someone like a professional of yourself and saying, you may have grown differently. You may have been growing in the same direction uh, with your relationship with parenting, but also sometimes you may not, um, you know, not unfortunately that's the way it is. And I think it's really authentic of you to actually say that. Um, so if there are people listening, there's a lot of help and support out there for you. Because also that's one thing I wanted to get through today is that, you know, relationships are hard with kids. They're not all perfect um, and they're all not going to be amazing at the end of the day. You can do some work around it, but sometimes it may not also end up that way and there are avenues and things that, that you can take. And I also want to say if you are experiencing domestic violence, please reach out to seek help and it's certainly there's a lot of women network out there to, you know, if something was happening, just calling that out for the moment. So, what can we do? So if we're a couple that, you know, post-children, we may have been neglecting each other a little bit uh, after children and maybe wake up, we get out of that initial probably three-month cloud as what we all know that it can be. And we're going, oh, we need to reinvigorate our relationship again. And, and you know, I, between my husband and I, it can be just be a simple hug of just, no, just that acknowledgement, yeah, yep, just a hug and that comfort in, and things. But what can we do to make sure that we've still got that flame in our relationship and keeping that flame alight? Um, have sex. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, but like, honestly, have sex. Um, I think sex is one of the first things to go when when we talk, you know, when we talk about the parent cloud and the, the whole parenthood thing. But you know, Maslow's hierarchy, I know a lot of people have heard of it, 
sex is at the bottom of the hierarchy. Sleep, eat, sex, safety. You know, sex is down. Like it's it's a biological need. We are biologically made to have sex. And so, <laughs> um, you know, I think that's the thing. There's, there's actually two, there's a joke that there's two kinds of relationships counsellors. There's ones that think that everything's related to sex and the relationship will follow or the relationship will follow and they just don't ever talk about sex. And so I try to have that balance of balancing sex is just part of it, but it, it is important. And so um, one of the things I talk about in my um, Heart and Soul Reset, which is my relationship course, there's there's actually a formula that anyone can follow. Um, I've got a free PDF on this, but you can do it now if you want to. Is just there's four areas that are really important to to, to improve on your relationship and to make sure that it stays solid. So you can do this on a regular basis, but there's four areas you want to check in regularly. And when I say check in, like actually having, like I said, that conversation where you sit down undistracted, maybe over a coffee or in the evening when the kids are asleep, set a reminder in your phone, do it once a month. Just say, look, let's just check in on our relationship. Like not the parenting, not the everything else, just, just the relationship. So the four the four C's that I talk about are cause, cares, communication, and consummation. So cause are like your values, your beliefs. You know, um, it's making sure that again you're still on the same page about the larger purpose of life. Like, what are we doing this whole thing called life for anyway? Right? Um, cares. So again. That those goals that I spoke about earlier, those one, three, five-year goals that you individually have and you have as a couple, checking in on those on a regular basis, like how are you going with that? Because, you know, if one partner's been like, I really want to get a promotion and they've been working their butt off and you you do your relationship check-in like, I've noticed that you've been really distant, then that's that, that opportunity for them to say, I've been working my butt off at work and I just don't feel like I'm getting anywhere. Like I'm not leaning towards that goal. And it's like, okay, well, how can I support you with that? What can I, is there something that I can do? Again, communication. So just checking in like exactly that. How, how have we been talking? Have we been showing each other our love language? You know, have we been making those bids for connection? And then finally, of course, that con- that uh, consummation. So just that that intimacy. And again, even if it's not having sex, it's like holding hands randomly, or yeah, that hug. Like just just having a moment where you hug each other when the kids aren't hugging you. Just like you know, a ten second, twenty second hug. Really get those oxytocin and endorphins flowing. So. I think um, it's making the time, make the time, you know, it's the secret source. Like you, if I said to you, find the time, like you go, oh, no, I've got, got to do this, got to do that, blah, 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 to-do list. Yeah, we're all in that situation, but you've got to make the time. Otherwise, you'll just end up like exactly what we spoke about. Like it's things are so fractured because you didn't do the proactive stuff. It's like the little things like you were saying earlier about acknowledging your partner when you get home, if you've been out or from home from work with, you know, the kids after childcare or something like that. It's those little things, I guess, uh, that, are, that are so important as well as they say, you know, the saying of from little things, big things grow that, yeah, you can, you can really do it. And I think also there's the element about self-care for individuals but there's also then the element of self-care I'd say as well to maintain your relationship wouldn't you say 
I just thought that's such a great way of explaining it. Yeah, 100%. Couple self-care. You've got you've got to trademark that term because yeah. I just think that's <laughs> such a great way of um, describing it. Yeah. And so, again, the self-care for your relationship, <clears throat> massive, like such a good thing to mention. So, so, of course, like, you know, we've all heard of date nights, which are crucial, but, you know, take it a step further. Can you go away for a night? like have a whole night and day away from each other, um, away from each other, away from the, the kids <laughs> um, or a weekend away or the opposite. Can you have a staycation where you can just eat and watch movies but the kids aren't in the household? Like if somebody could just take the kids for a day so you can just chill out at home, you know? Um, there's so many possibilities. But, um, yeah, self-care and couple care, hugely important. Yeah, yeah. And so on that, is there anything else that you want to add into like parenting pre and post children uh, that we can prepare for, but also make sure that we maintain because it's also we, and I say maintain because a relationship, it's not a stop start. It's, it's not, it's, it's not even a marathon because you keep going with this. We need to continuously focus on our relationship. Just like we want to make sure that we're raising good kids. We equally as well as what you said earlier, need to keep that foundation solid uh, in our relationship. Yeah. Yeah. So I've got a really great tool for this. If you want it, it's on my website. It's a free PDF. It's called the Foundation Check and it's part of our Heart and Soul Reset course. But again, it's exactly what I've just mentioned a couple of questions ago, which is that four C's. So check about your cause, which is your values, your cares, so your goals, your communication and the love languages, and then how your intimacy has been the consummation. But really it's like, take the time to check in, like literally set a schedule in your phone or a reminder, like, you know, the first week of every month, we'll just make it a time to just sit down and chat about how things have been. So that's one thing. Checking in on a regular basis is huge because it's like, um, it's like monitoring an injury. Like if you have an injury and you just go, oh, I'm just going to wait and see what happens in six months. Like, no, you don't do that. You you make sure that you check in on a regular basis just to monitor it. Exactly the same in a relationship. So that's one. The second thing that I see, not just in relationships, but in individuals, when life gets chaotic and stressful, which basically is all the time when kids, <laughs> kids are involved, especially small kids, <coughs> excuse me, is um, fun. Fun goes out the window. It's like not a priority. Fun and rest, like play and rest. It's like those two things, okay, not important. I've got way too much on my to-do list to just stop and have fun. Like, you know, but that's what that's what keeps the spark alive. Like that is the romance. Like if you think about when you were first getting together, I'm sure a lot of couples can relate to you did novel things, play the norm. And then unfortunately, when we when we start having kids and those things, we don't prioritize that anymore because we just don't. So I would say checking in with each other and trying to find ways to have fun, just to lighten it, like lighten your heart and your soul and lighten things a bit, you know, I think that's just huge. That's great advice. So Sheena, what do you do for self-care? So what do I do for self-care? Just recently, actually, again, for those who follow my um, Instagram, 
last month's value was um, we have a value and a thought for the month every month. And so last month's thought was saying no is the best way to say yes. And it was really about boundary setting and learning how to say no to others or expectations or the to-do list so you could say yes to yourself. And um, so now what I do for self-care is I, I do nothing. Like I, and when I say do nothing, I mean as in I've learned that I'm always going to have something to do. There's always going to be something to clean, something on my business I could work on. Um, I could go on Instagram. I could. There's always another podcast, another thing, another thing, thing, thing I could do. So now I've made time to go, you know what? I'm just going to sit on the couch and do nothing if I want to, or I'm going to read a book. That's fine. You, like it's, I, I think I've learned how good it is to just be okay with that and, and to say no to obligations. Cause if you, again, if you don't make the time, it just won't happen. So I'm okay with that now. That's my self care is learning that I don't have to do anything. I could just be. It's fine. <laughs> yes. And saying no can be quite a powerful thing as well, which is fantastic. And so, <laughs> Sheena, how can people reach out to you and find out more about your courses? Yeah, of course. So, um, if anybody wants to connect with me, um, it's just uh, Instagram.com forward slash Savasana Collective. So, that's S A V A S A na collective because savasana is like a bit of a strange word for people um but the yogis out there you'll get me so yeah find me on instagram that's usually my main place where i'm hanging out obviously my website so savasanacollective.com um you can send me an email at admin at savasana collective and um yeah also have a podcast too so i've just i'm loving your podcast but i've just launched my own as well called the 4Q podcast. The best way to find it is just search Savasana Collective um, on all the places that you look for your podcast. Yeah, that's where you can find me. Oh, congratulations on launching a podcast. It's uh, it's certainly something that's one of the best things I've done. And definitely go check out uh, Savannah Collective and, and all the resources there. And what we'll do is uh, include links into the show notes to that as well. So Shuna, I just want to say thank you so much for your time. It's been such an insightful chat. Uh, I know that I could actually keep talking to you all day long about these topics, but I know that people are busy and things like that. But definitely uh, for me, some key takeaways have really been about being on the same page. Communication is just so important. And really understanding uh, your partner, their goals, uh, and also really working together as a team and, and that shared collective approach and that authenticity. And sometimes the hardest conversations may actually lead to the best destinations. Um, so thank you so much and uh, look forward to watching your journey in the future. You too, Karina. So lovely to chat with you and um, I can't wait to hear it when it comes out. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Working Mama podcast. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast catch-up. I invite you also to join the Working Mama community on Facebook and join in the conversation with other like-minded working mums. Please also feel free to contact me on any of the Working Mama social channels. Remember, mama is M-U-M-M-A. Via Instagram at workingmama underscore A-U or website www.workingmama.com.au.
I would appreciate you to share this podcast with friends and colleagues, especially those that are parents managing the juggle. And I would really appreciate if you had to take the time out to leave a review of the podcast. I'll be giving a shout out to select people that do so. So stay listening and you might be one of them. Thank you and see you next time. Have a great week.